Mm-hmm. And at the community, you know, you've got us, the settlement sector. And if we're not talking to each other, then, and if we're not thinking as, as institutions, how do we, you know, and not, I mean, we could, we could talk about international students, but we can really apply this to other uh, segments of the immigrant newcomer community. If we're not thinking as institutions, how do we uh, come together? Because it's not going to be up to one institution. Um, and how do we collaborate and how do we coordinate and, uh, you know, to, to better support individuals when they come into the community. From BU Cares Research Centre, this is Dr. Michelle Lamb and Dr. Jacqueline Kirk, and you're listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, the Research Connection podcast. It's a podcast about the world we live in and how education can make a difference. These are conversations about curiosity and how researchers and educators are working in new ways. Each month on the show, we bring together a community member and a researcher to discuss a topic that's important to them. Welcome everyone to the Leaning In and Speaking Out podcast. My name is Michelle Lam. I'm one of the co-hosts of the podcast. I'm here with Dr. Jackie Kirk, who is the other co-host of the podcast. And I'm really excited today because two of the guests that are here with us are people that I've been working with for a while. So you'll probably be able to tell that from our conversation. We know each other pretty well and work together well. And so I'm expecting some laughs in this conversation and hopefully not too many inside jokes so that you can follow along. But uh, Jackie, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. Hello, everyone. I'm Jackie Kirk, and I'm in the Department of Leadership and Educational Administration at Brandon University. And um, I think I'm sort of the outsider in this project this morning. And so I'll try to make sure that everybody makes their connections between the topics and with each other and keep everything rolling. Um, And I'm really excited about the conversation and really happy to have uh, the two of you on our show today. And so Enver, do you want to introduce yourself next? Absolutely. Uh, Enver Nadu, great to be here. I, I feel kind of weird introducing myself since you know, we all know each other. Mm-hmm. So, but for you folks out in podcast land, uh, I'm the executive director at Westman Immigrant Services. Um, I have background in private and nonprofit sector, and I, I bring that kind of curiosity and toolkit into the job to really unpack um, how we can serve uh, the community better. Um, I also have an MBA in community economic development, and I think just bringing that kind of uh, that kind of perspective into connecting immigration and economic development as well, so we can build stronger communities. Thanks. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Ayodeji Ashiname, and I'm in my tax elevate postdoctoral fellow uh, in anti-racism and belonging here at Brandon University uh, Cares Research Center. And this uh, uh, postdoc is in partnership with uh, Westman Immigrant Services here in the Brandon area. And I'm excited to be here this morning. And uh, I mean, for those of you uh, who don't know me, I finished my master's degree here at Brandon University before going to the University of Manitoba to complete my doctoral studies. And now I'm back home and Brandon is home and I'm happy to be here and I'm, I'm excited. And Jackie, when you said earlier that you're an outsider to the conversation, you're not really an outsider because you were very involved 
with Dr. Oshinami's work in the past and present. You're writing. It was, together. yeah. Odeji and I do lots of research together. And uh, when he was doing his master's classes and thesis, um, he was working as my research assistant. So um, we've known each other for a long time. So I think to start off, let's talk about the work that both of you are doing. And in some of that, maybe trace backwards a little bit so we can understand how these projects came to be. Um, and then talk about how that work supports newcomer settlement, like you said in your introduction. So, Odeji, do you want to start off? Yes. Thank you, Michelle. Um, so, uh, I finished my, uh, my dissertation, uh, my, my postdoctoral work in June of this year. And um, so, my, my, my doctoral research is really looking at uh, newcomer families uh, in settling into Canadian uh, society. Uh, so, for example, uh, the research uh, is about expanding an understanding of home, about how newcomer families, uh, about how they adjust uh, in Canada and how they realize a sense of belonging. And so, in that work, um, my research uh, see home as a connections of uh, a network of connections and how um, human co human uh, connections and human relationships are important in realizing a sense of place and a sense of belonging. So when newcomers come from uh, their countries of origin and they come into Canada, first thing they do is to make connections to you know, their countries of origin, they make connections to their families, they make connections to their uh, friends in, in, you know, in, in their countries of origin through uh, social media uh, platforms such as, uh, uh, or technology such as uh, WhatsApp, right? And then the next thing they do is to, they try to make connections to uh, uh, individuals uh, uh, in the diaspora, right? Uh, that that shared similar experience, or I've been living in 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 the diaspora in Canada for a while, and those connections give them stability to be able to go out and build relationships in the school, in the community, and you know uh, that uh, and and that relationship, I believe. Fluid, they're not static as they try to settle in, you know, uh, in, in, in Canada. And that work that I, you know, that I did for my dissertation support newcomer families through the understanding that I developed about how newcomers establish uh, a sense of belonging. So, in my research or in my work uh, with uh, Brandon University uh, Kids Research Center, uh, and uh, Westman Immigrant Services. Um, uh, we're looking about racism and belonging within newcomer population in the Brandon area. And the first study that I'm working on is about uh, employment and credentialing barriers. So when newcomers come into Canada, right, they bring all these skills, they bring all these qualifications, they, build, they bring all these experiences. And then when they come to Canada, it's so difficult for them to, you know, to transfer all of these experiences, all of these skills. They can't get a job, they can't get, you know, affordable housing. And that's a challenge, right? And in this work, I'm planning to, uh, you know, talk about uh, help, talk to new, uh, immigrant professionals because we're looking at economic class uh, 
immigrants, uh, talk about how we can help them interpret, you know, uh, uh, the, 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 the local uh, uh, labor market, right? And help them to see uh, how they can use their skills and experiences in, 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 in you know, in a, in a better place, right? And then talk to employers of labor as well and how, what they need, right? In, in, in the organizations as well and how we can uh, try to move you know, everybody forward, right? And then of course, I'm working with uh, Westman Immigrant Services we, as a hub, like to make connections between these uh, groups, between uh, uh, professional level immigrants and then uh, the employers of labor in, in the Brandon area and thus to find how we can create uh, opportunities, employment opportunities for, uh, for newcomers in, in, in Brandon. I think that research is so needed. Just the, and this is just my own anecdotal talking to people in the community, but we have employers who are talking about labor shortages and saying we can't right. find enough people. And that's not just Brandon, that's Manitoba. Maybe you'll talk more about this, Amber. but then I know about newcomers who are saying, well, I got recruited to Canada because I got a lot of points for my background skills and qualifications, but I can't get jobs in those areas. And so there's a huge disconnect there. Right. And so I think your research fits a really important gap. Absolutely, mm -hmm. Michelle. It's important. Mm -hmm. We need, yeah. you know, like you said, we have a lot of labor shortages and we have all this human capital out there, right? Mm -hmm. We need to be able to find ways to, you know, uh, to involve or uh, to, 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 to help move our community forward right and um i, I think it, it, it's, a, it's an important work so same question over to you Enver, about the work you're doing and how it supports newcomers you know uh maybe before jumping to mm -hmm. the question uh, maybe i'll kind of talk a little bit of my journey of how i got into this work mm -hmm. Um, and if it's not relevant, feel free to delete it. <laughs> Sorry. But, uh, you know, I, I entered the, the settlement sector, which is kind of the, the work that, that takes place on the ground, um, uh, starting up uh, in a role called the Local, Immigra Local Immigration Partnership. And, and through that, that's kind of how you and I met. And I, I kind of remember that day, it was uh, sitting in a coffee shop. This was kind of during COVID, you know, specific social distancing <laughs> in place. And I'm, I'm trying to share with you this, this project. Uh, which is you know new in the community and and local immigration partnerships at the time you know existed in about 85 communities across Canada and it started out in Toronto uh, in the early 2000s and it's funded through Immigration Refugee and Citizenship Canada and the role and goal you know in summary of local immigration partnerships is to identify gaps in the community um, that uh, immigrants and newcomers are facing and then thinking about which stakeholders can we bring together uh, to, to address this um, from a leadership level, and then also ensuring that we incorporate the voices of immigrants and newcomers in that work. And I think it was month two in that position, there was some unfortunate uh, uh, challenges that, that you know, Canada was facing around racism. Now, obviously, we know racism has been around for a long time, but you know there, there was a media um, focus on it, and there was a community focus on it, and and Brandon as well had an unfortunate incident that was um, highlighted by the media as 
um, a, a race attack. Uh, uh, hate crime. Hate crime, thank mm -hmm. you. And, and, you know, being new in that role and building all these community partnerships, um, there was, you know, interest from outside of the community in, in developing some kind of voice around this. And uh, I, I wasn't sure whether I should be the one leading that kind of conversation. And I reached out to Michelle and, and I reached out to, to other stakeholders and said, look, you know, is there a way we can uh, create a, a platform to bring together the community and really think about how do we evolve this from, from a narrative to a way that, you know, we can understand where we are and, and potentially find a way to guide the community through this so we're not staying with this narrative. And, uh, and then out of those conversations, we, we started a project called Community Voices Anti-Racism. And, and I know you probably have lots of, uh, of research on your website, Michelle, about this. So I won't get into the details on, on, on the, the findings, but, but what that identified is that there's, there's definitely uh, a need to keep these conversations going, uh, a platform uh, like Community Voices to, to bring together different stakeholders uh, and then obviously, you know, having the UK's, you know, bringing in that research component to, to ensure that, you know, we have sort of this community engaged research perspective. So it's not just opinions, but it's, uh, it's informed uh, through research. And, um, and out of that, uh, you know, we've got one project and, and then I think now, you know, sitting with Ayodeji, we, we kind of have another project that, that we're able to move forward. And, uh, and this also started with just an idea. And you know, I, I think when I moved out of that particular role into my current role as executive director, and I, I remember being, I think it was like week one on the job, and and Michelle reached out and said, "Look, there's there's this this MyTax grant, you know, and you know, we know the, you know, out of the response from the initial community voices, we know there's there's an, an interest in this uh, type of dialogue at the community level, um, and and then we went through how to connect this, right? Like at the time. Uh, you know, labor market shortages at the scale that it's at, uh, you know, not just in Brandon, not just in Manitoba, not just in Canada, but globally, you know, I think out of the pandemic, like we had, we had no clue that this was going to be as, as, as topical as it is now. And then, but, but we you know, submitted the application and I think it was a year later, we found out we were successful. And so, you know, I, I think if it was, uh, <clears throat> If we look back, I, I think you know the, the timing of things. You know, was was certainly uh, submitting the application and now having the project come to light. Um, the, the timing of things just just worked out perfectly. And and then also having you, Yaideji, with your 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 research, but also your passion and your, your interest, and and just your lived experience as well. I think you know, it's the culmination of all of that. And obviously, the network and the relationships you have now allows us to kind of move forward these conversations a little bit more easily because. We, we have this, this pre-established platform around community voices, and now we've got connected through equity, diversity, and inclusivity, but we're also trying to ensure that there's that community-engaged perspective. How do we move this research forward in, uh, into the community? And we've connected it to uh, barrister employment. Um, so the ability to, to, for me personally, to be part of this, this, um, this movement, because I, I really see it as a movement, um that then maybe we start here and share with others um is quite timely uh and so that that kind of where we come from but where i am today uh you know a little bit the work we do in at um at westman immigrant services 
you know, I think when, when we think about uh, newcomer settlement specifically, um, we tend to use the word newcomer like this homogenous group, you know, and all newcomers need the same supports. And I think this is one of the things that I'm trying to explore is unpacking and really looking at this through a segmented approach. Because depending, the, depending on what pathway you came to Canada, your needs might be very different. Uh, depending on you know some of the barriers you may have, your supports might be very different. And then even within that, uh, you may bring family members later that and your needs and their needs might be very different. And so you know as we as we unpack and repack that, um, we're starting to explore um, new programs, uh, new services. Um, we're starting to also try and think about giving those a voice that don't necessarily have a voice. Because just because there isn't funding, program funding for specific segments of the newcomer population, doesn't mean that there aren't needs. And so, as an organization, you know, we've been very proactive, and then we we not doing it alone. We have great partnerships, and then we also want to you know shift from it being opinion to really ensure that there's some assessment and some uh, some best practices that that we can establish along the way that could better inform the work we do but maybe also help support the, the settlement sector at large. Um, so, I, I, you know, I think part of what we do now to answer your question, the work that we're doing is really good work has been happening for years, but what we're doing differently right now is we're not making assumptions. We're unpacking and repacking to see is what we're doing working? Uh, is there another way to do it better? Um, and, you know, are there gaps that we can also support other stakeholders in the community because you know immigrants and newcomers don't live in a vacuum, um, and at what stage do they stop being immigrants and newcomers? So it's, it really comes back to my initial introduction about building a stronger community, and and it's taking this you know broad perspective of who immigrants and newcomers are. Thank you. Hi, um, <clears throat> <I owe> DG. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Let me try that again. <laughs> I would, DG, maybe following up on that, maybe you'd talk to us about some of the strengths that newcomers bring with them when they come to the community. Thank you, Chucky. Um, in my conversation, I've talked about uh, the many uh, strengths, the experiences, the skills that uh, newcomers bring into this great nation, right? They, they fool, they drive the sociocultural, right? The, the diversity, linguistic uh, diversity in our communities, right? They bring so many things like uh, adaptation, resiliency, uh, high hopes. They bring uh, aspirations, right? They bring uh, so many human capital in, in, into this great country. Um, most of them are hardworking, right? And, uh, and all of these qualities, I think we need to emulate, you know, in, in, in our communities, in our country. And, um, and finally, I want to say that uh, newcomers, they're feeling the, uh, um, the economic and demographic uh, needs in Canadian society. As we know, uh, the, the population is aging, right? And we need to bring, you know, people that can you know, help us with economic stability and people to pay taxes, people to help support programs. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that's the only thing newcomers bring. They bring so many things, but we need to consider that as a factor as well, right? And, um, so, yeah. Thank you. Anything that you guys want to add? Go ahead. Sure. You know, 
I think, the, I mean, it's, a, it's it's somewhat of a polarized question because mm -hmm. we we saying you know we really focusing on newcomers and what they bring, but but I think on the other side of it is like the you know which I did you touched on I think as a country we need population growth, right? Mm -hmm. But then but then we look at it at sort of at a you know at a, at a micro level like this family reunification, there's humanitarian needs, there's there's a lot that that you know needs to be explored, and so when we think of strengths. Depending on who you're talking to, it's going to be fairly, um, fairly broad response, and I think there needs to be sort of a, an opportunity to kind of explore what strengths look like um, at the family level, at the community level, you know, at uh, at at a, at a national level, um, and and provide a an avenue for all of those types of strengths to to kind of come forward. And and one you know very simple example, I mean, you could be here in Canada and you know thriving. In, in whatever you know lifestyle you you living in, but if you have concerns about family members, in a, you know in your country of origin, and that ability to for unification isn't there, or or just you know there may be some challenges, and we don't think about that, um, and we don't create opportunities for support at a community level, then we we kind of uh, neglecting to think about supporting that individual, and then eventually strengths become weaknesses, mm -hmm. and and. Part of that consideration is just that you know when you're new to a country or new to a community, you don't have the same uh, supports you had, you know, if you were established in the community. If that's the community you lived in. If that's the community you were born in. So you may not necessarily have the same uh, you know ties to to getting, you know, whether it be social or emotional support or mm -hmm. even financial support. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so if we don't if we don't think about some of the the challenges individuals are going through and we make these assumptions. That just because somebody arrived with you know, strengths, um, and not try and think about like where could some of the gaps be, you may miss out on supporting them long term, and and that could be a, a disservice to them, and then obviously a, a loss of opportunity for us at the community level as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good point. I really, I really appreciate that point. I, I remember reading something about, I think it was a critique of the point system mm -hmm. for immigration or something like that. And someone was saying like, my grandmother doesn't receive very many points in the, the chart of how many points are worth for education or language, et cetera. But my grandmother is what holds my family together. Mm -hmm. And so I really appreciate that point about thinking about people in a more holistic way and thinking about communities in a more holistic way that's really important yeah, yeah. And, and i and i let's go back then I, I think that again it's it's a fairly polarized conversation because mm -hmm. when we talk about one group it doesn't mean necessarily we're not talking about another group mm -hmm. and uh, but I, I think that there needs to be an opportunity to kind of um have this this sort of cross-section of of when we talk about strengths, what strengths are we talking about? We know there's a shortage of daycare. And I, you know, you just mentioned you know, grandparents as an example. And I mean, that plays a strong role to supporting the family and then it mm -hmm. plays a strong role to supporting you know, the economic uh, strengths of that, that family unit so that they can pay for the kids to go to summer camp, right? Mm -hmm. right. And so we don't necessarily think of it through that lens sometimes in policy, mm -hmm. um, but, but we, we're hoping things work out. And I think that there, there should be more some, some more conversation around that. Mm -hmm. yeah we see the bigger pictures but not the um the details and the nuances and the yeah that, that's really 
an important piece. And I think we're, I think we're starting to realize, um, you know, that like I hear more of the conversations about the supports that newcomers need to have, yes. but um, it's a slow process, I think, mm -hmm. before we get that sort of into our mainstream of our mm -hmm. communities. So you talked a little bit about it, but why don't you just keep going with that conversation about the challenges that newcomers face? Like you started into that. Mm -hmm. Do you want to carry on? Is there more that you have to say about that? Oh, a lot more. Uh, I thought so. <laughs> you know, I, I think, I, again, I, I, I want to preface this by utilizing the term newcomers and, and expanding on it because we... Sure. Yeah. Because you know, if you if you arrived, you know, if you if you came through family reunification and you know the grandparent and you arrived in Canada, and if English isn't your first language and if French isn't your your, you know, your first language, and and so you're not speaking one of the two official languages, you know, there's some significant barriers. And maybe you were very independent in your country of origin, and you arrive here and now you can't drive. Like the quality of life for you looks very different, right? And and then you know the vulnerability that may uh, that may come with that. Um, you know, so those challenges uh, is very distinct from somebody who maybe arrived here as an international experienced professional, and maybe you know they, you know, in Manitoba we have thirty-one regulated professions, and there's a good chance you know before you arrive that you you know it's a regulated profession and you you're not going to be able to enter that that particular career path, but um, you know when we think about about those challenges. You know, I've seen even individuals go through the uh, the, the significant expense and time to get their regulations um, uh, equivalent to Canadian standards, mm -hmm. and they are also having challenges finding mm -hmm. employment. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I think that we know there's challenges for all human beings, but but the the disconnect I think for immigrants and newcomers is that there's sometimes a lack of coordination, because you don't know sometimes that that resources even exist, right? And for us as a as an organization, you know, we we certainly uh, within the work that we do, we are that conduit, that bridge, uh, that advocate to try and provide all that coordination, that support, that direction, uh, the program delivery, the services. But uh, you know, a big part of it comes down to funding, and and it's the nature of the work that exists. So we come back to this idea of you know the grandparents, uh, right? There there isn't traditionally funding at the stage specifically for immigrant and newcomer seniors mm -hmm. and it doesn't mean there's programs and services absolutely we do have them and we in partnership you know are looking to expand on them but this was a proactive approach and I don't know if it exists across Canada um, and when we think about international experienced professionals um, there are uh, processes, everybody will talk about it, that you can go to get your regulations, uh, your, your, you can get your um, designation uh, assessed and, uh, you know, from a, uh, from a Canadian equivalency perspective. Mm -hmm. But then we're making these assumptions that just doing that is going to lead you to get the career path that you want. And, and there's a disconnect there as well, right? Which is why mm -hmm. the work that IODG is doing around equity, diversity, inclusivity, specifically related to barrister employment, is going to be so important, um, you know, because even if we think about international students, as an example, again, really looking at the segmented approaches in terms of who newcomers are, you know, these are individuals who are coming in to Canada. They now uh, they've 
they require some level of language, English language proficiency or French language proficiency. They, um, they, they've got the Canadian uh, you know, equivalent of education uh, because they're attending post-secondary institutions, but they are also struggling as well to, to get that uh, you know, meaningful employment. And so, so we've seen that employment tends to be a little bit of a common denominator when it comes to, to some of the core challenges. And I think why is this important is that, you know, that the very definition of settlement is going to look different depending on, on what your needs are at the time. But in order to uh, maintain a quality of life that's going to support you and your family, employment is sort of a, a core uh, pillar of that. Mm -hmm. And so regardless of, of whether you come into Canada as a refugee or you come into Canada as um, you know, under an international student uh, mobility, or you come in as um, as international experience professional. At some point in time, if that barrier or that challenge isn't addressed, you may find yourself in in a survival job, and mm -hmm. and then there's more challenges that come with that, mm -hmm. which I, I'm happy to, to talk about. But as you can see, it, 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 there is no one silver bullet for this. I think um, the the key thing that we're trying to do is uh, with the work or the is to start asking questions. Mm -hmm. Because if we make these assumptions, and, and particularly when we use the word newcomer, it's a very dangerous word to use because then we're saying that the solutions that's provided for newcomers applies to all newcomers, which it doesn't. Right. And then also who's not been referenced in that in that conversation when we use the word newcomers is. And if the research is around newcomers and employability, then we may not be thinking about the grandparents in that conversation. And then we, we, you know, and I know it's challenging from a research perspective because there's always the research question and we want to stay in scope and things of that nature. So mm -hmm. I think that's where these kinds of partnerships, you know, where we have, um, you know, the, the academic and the practitioner coming together because we obviously want to try and move the needle on some things, but the, the advantage of these partnerships is that we're not forgetting about others. And so it leads, opportunity for future research and these opportunities to move the work forward at the same time. Thank you. Jackie, I saw you nodding along in a big way when he was talking yeah. about the students that well, are not getting jobs. I, or something once I, yeah, yeah, and I've grown a lot, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I've been working with international students since before Deja came and I watched over time what's happened to them. And I think at the beginning, I always thought about um, we should bring them. It's an opportunity. Like if I was applying, you know, to a foreign university and they gave me the opportunity, it would be a great learning opportunity, no matter what happened. But then as I have had more experience with it, um, I saw that they weren't necessarily always being successful in our programs when they came. And we've, then moved into trying to give them more support to be successful in our programs. But then I see that when they get to the end of the program, they can graduate with a master's degree in Canada and still maybe not get um, appropriate employment, like employment that would be, would match their level of education. And then I don't know where that takes me back to. It makes me feel really sad. But every year when we face the applications mm -hmm. and decide who should come into the program, I go through like quite an emotional time of 
um, trying to decide if it's the right thing mm -hmm. to give them the opportunity or not, because maybe it's not an opportunity, you know, maybe it's a dead end. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I feel really uncomfortable with that and sort of not knowing what to do, because I know that we can sort of support them through the program, but it, they expect more than that. Mm -hmm. They expect that once they have a Canadian degree, they'll be able to get a job in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, in education, we see lots of that. Um, we had a student in our program who had done his undergraduate degree in education at U of M. And he came to us to do his master's degree. And after his master's degree, he was still working as a teacher assistant, mm -hmm. an educational assistant in his school system. And it, it's just really hard to figure out how do we get from, you know, how do we change our system so that we're more open? Mm -hmm. And we need diversity in our teaching force. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we know that the research says that students in our schools need to be able to see themselves represented. Mm -hmm. And yet it's really hard to hire. You know, uh, firstly, I want to commend you for just that um, the comment that you, you made about how hard it is, you know, being, you know, reviewing those applications because you've seen some of the challenges and you, you don't. You want to ensure that if uh, if international students are coming, that they've been set up for success, and and I think that that's where you know giving a voice to those that don't have a voice becomes really key, because we, when we look at the research, you know the majority of international students who do come to Canada want to stay after graduation, mm -hmm. but when we look at the program delivery, you know in the settlement sector, if if there isn't funding available for international students to support them to address some of the gaps that we've spoken about. And then they've left, they've been left at least at the community level to figure things out on their own. Mm -hmm. At least at you know uh, from an employment perspective to figure things out on their own. And you know when I stepped in this role, um, we saw that gap and we started knocking on doors of funders to say, look, we need to address this gap. Unfortunately, we were able to get funding, but it shouldn't be um, so um, reactive, right? I think there needs to be a commitment, and this is my opinion, a commitment that if we're going to be bringing people into or allowing individuals to come into the country, then uh, knowing that they want to stay and knowing, you know, they've been identified as a population group that could support uh, our immigration growth in Canada, then I think we need to be more pro proactive to think about what some of the gaps are uh, that, that's not supporting them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think of, and I, you know, I think I did, you touched on this, um, in your, in your introduction, which was which was awesome, but if, if there was a summary I had to put on it, it was around institutional actors, and when we think about immigration, you know, immigration is at the federal level, education is the provincial level, mm -hmm. and at the community, you know, you've got us, the settlement sector, and if we're not talking to each other, then and if we're not thinking as as institutions, how do we, you know, and not, I mean, we could we could talk about international students, but we can really apply this to other uh, segments of the immigrant newcomer community. If we're not thinking as institutions, how do we uh, come together? Because it's not gonna be up to one institution. 
um, and how do we collaborate and how do we coordinate and uh, you know to, to better support individuals when they come into the community um, then we we hoping we hoping one institution takes care of it right or we at the very worst we're saying it's not my job <laughs> and and then that's a disservice to individuals and I think that that isn't unique to um, to to this to Brandon or Manitoba or Canada because institutional actors and just the way immigration flows and the way uh, education is governed, this is a, a, a challenge and, and there's lots of research to show that international students are facing the same struggles across Canada. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think one of the things that we can do is really think of them um, as, um, as human beings first who are in the community. And then take a little bit of a segmented approach because you know if you came in as an international student and this is your undergraduate degree, I know you mentioned masters, but it was your under your first degree, you know maybe your 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 experience is similar, and I'm not saying exclusively the same, but maybe similar to other undergraduate students. But what we've seen is some international students are coming in, bringing their families, right, and what supports are available for them, and especially at that master's level, right. And their needs might be a little different, and most likely a lot different. But when we use this term international students, we're kind of not thinking about it at the institutional levels. And we're thinking, well, we have services for international students on campus or off campus or out in the community. But is it supporting you know, the international student base that is in your community right now? And we're not asking those questions. And that's kind of what's exciting. You know, I, I see this, this, this uh, type of work, this type of conversations, you know, uh, is going to allow us to at least have a better understanding, uh, mm -hmm. and hopefully be able to to support that, you know, in, in terms of from, from the work that we do, to then take that that research or take that that understanding and and then go to you know various stakeholders and say, look, changes are needed or let's do more of the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just keeping with that theme of education and. I want to ask Aideji because you've lived this, what they're talking about. Yeah. And also as somebody who's really embedded in the field of education. So maybe speaking about it from your own perspective or perhaps speaking about it in terms of the question, what do teachers or educators or administrators need to be thinking about in relation to this topic? Thank you, Michelle. Uh, I'm just gonna, you know, give us a little statistics, mm -hmm. you know, and 2016, according to 2016 census, uh, close to 22% of the population were foreign-born immigrant and refugees, right? And also the first and second generation of immigrant children are pre predicted to be between 39 and 49% by 2036. And also, uh, recent new uh, news releases by uh, the Minister of Immigration talking about bringing 1.5 million immigrants by 20, 2020, 25, I think. Uh, we need the increase in diversity in our schools, right? Need urgent attention to supporting this group, right? And like from my own experiences, right? Oh, let me quickly talk about research, right? And I think Jackie mentioned uh, a, a little bit about that, you know? Research talk about when students see people like them in the school, right? And when all these immigrants see somebody like them 
you know, as a teacher in the school, as a support staff, right, they tend to, you know, do well. Several important factors are, has been identified in the research, right? Uh, things like the importance of building welcoming and inclusive uh, uh, environment for these uh, for these students in the school, right? And also uh, recruiting um, staff like that, you know, are, 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 can support uh, the student and also culturally uh, responsive teaching is important as well in the school. And uh, from my own uh, research, right, uh, my dissertation, talk about simple and practical ways to build uh, relationships, right, uh, uh, or to make a difference for these uh, children in, in, in the school. So uh, in my research, children talk about sport. You know, sport bring people together. It's a universal language. You don't need to communicate, to play, for example, a game of tag, mm -hmm. like soccer, you know, we don't need, soccer is universal. People play soccer all across the world, right? And I think soccer brings people together and people together and adults should uh, see or try to, you know, use that to, you know, to bring, you know, had uh, uh, youth and and children together, and uh, I think that will help in building that welcoming and supporting uh, environment in our schools. Uh, when I think sports brings people together without language, right? Like, right. despite language, I guess, mm -hmm. and I think that's important. I think we get broken down in our relationships. Um, through language barriers, because we rely so heavily on language for communication. And I, I, it's interesting that the children pointed that out because I think often the adults, I think we tend to think of bigger, more complex solutions. Mm -hmm. And I like that sort of simple, yeah. practical, meaningful ways, mm -hmm. you know, and I think uh, adults should try to encourage children to, to play together mm -hmm. and that will make a difference for them uh, in school. Also, uh, from my dissertation, um, I think teachers are already doing a great, great job in schools, I think. So one, 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 children one child participant in my, in my dissertation talked about a teacher creating a sense of hope. For, for them in the class. She said, you are one big family. Even if you left this class, you are still part of this, you know, great family. And then she said, oh, she's like the mom of, of, of the family. And I think creating welcoming and inclusive uh, environment where, you know, children can feel realize a sense of belonging, realize a sense of comfort is important for educators, uh, administrators to think about, you know, because with a lot increased diversity in our schools, right? We need to, you know, articulate a clear goal, a clear vision for how to bring, you know, how to how to include, you know, this uh, this group, you know, uh, and I think it it is important. So um, I just want to highlight in my own experience, you know, like uh, Michelle asked me. So um, for me, it was 
intentional uh, connections that I made with the main, mainstream uh, Canadians that made a difference for me. Uh, I was working at BUKs as a research assistant with uh, Jackie and Mike, and it, it totally, some of the complexities that I was finding so difficult to, you know, to, to, to com articulate or comprehend, I bring it to them and I would discuss it together and they helped me, you know, to uh, break those things down. And, and, and I think it, you know, helped me to understand uh, the complexity or the nuance, you know, uh, within the Canadian, uh, 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 Canadian society. And then when kids play together, mm -hmm. you know, they, 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 they support one another. They, 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 they build that connections. They build that relationship as well. And by that, they may be able to help them adjust, integrate into, you know, into the school and into the community, I, I, I hope. I read a study where they had followed kids who went to a very multicultural school and had that sense of belonging in their classrooms and then graduated and ran into the kinds of hiring barriers that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. And they said they felt disillusioned with Canada, that they had had this perception of Canada as this beautiful multicultural country where everyone belongs in their high school. And then running after jobs and running into barriers and barriers and barriers thought maybe it's not as accepting of multiculturalism as they had been told in high school. Right. So I wonder, on maybe this is a question for you, Jackie, on a kind of policy level, maybe. Mm. But um, what can we do to support students after they've graduated? Or is that more where community partnerships come in? And like, well, I feel like there's I a big I think gap. it's the same mm -hmm. problem yeah. as when they graduate from university. Yeah, exactly. And I think we have a big problem. I, I think, you know, when I experienced it, Mm -hmm. um, with hiring, that it's really hard to hire diversity. Um, when we meet with candidates and they fit into our value system and they fit into our um, sense of what does it take to teach, um, it's much easier to say, oh, okay, I know that this person is going to be a good teacher. Because they know how to play the game? Well, they... and just because I think we communicate more easily, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I understand their answers. I understand, um, and I mean that on a, not a surface level, but a, mm -hmm. a deeper level. I think it just makes it easier. And Yet, when I look at um, what we need in our system, we need diversity in our system. And somehow we need to prioritize that it's diversity. But the hiring practices that we've used, um, I think, depends on those personal connections and sometimes like for a job interview you know if you're going for a teaching interview it's probably an hour interview or a 35 minute interview and if you and I don't click probably I'm not going to say I think Ember's the guy for the job hmm. um but those cultural pieces really sometimes need time to build connection 
rather than that 35 minute space where we say, oh yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I get you. And I don't know how we get over that obstacle, but it's a, it's a problem mm-hmm. because I think we're even denying our organizations something that they dearly need, but we can't figure out how to get to that next spot. Um, Maybe I'll touch on on, on that a little bit, Jackie, because I I think it's not unique specifically to any specific industry or sector. No, I don't think it is either. I just know education. So I know how it happens here and I've experienced how it happens here. Um, even in trying to support the diverse candidate and saying, no, I think, you know, this, I think this is a really good choice. Yeah. It's really hard to I've seen, I, I argue have seen, that. I have seen some commonality, though, regardless of industry or sector. And I'll, I'll use uh-huh. one, one example. Maybe you guys have heard me use this example before, but um, maybe you haven't. So this is new. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I, I think that... Um, the, the, some of the challenges I've seen, particularly as it comes to what you're talking about, is like this idea of building rapport, right, in an interview environment. Um, it, it is, and there's things that we are doing as an organization, and there's lots more we can do. And uh, and it's to support that individual. You know, it's really a sales and marketing exercise when you go for that 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 job interview. Mm-hmm. But if you think about, you know, if you were an educator, say you were a principal for ten years, right, whether it be in Canada or your country of origin. And you arrive in Canada and you know it's a regulated profession. You know that there's a good chance you're not going to be uh, a principal. But because that's your identity, you apply generally for those jobs. Mm-hmm. And uh, and usually what happens, some version of this first question comes up in most interviews. And it's this the first question, some version of it. And maybe, you know, in post-secondary, it might be a little different, might be a little bit more, uh, more professional. But it's, it's some version of this. Tell us about yourself. Mm-hmm. And usually some version of this answer comes about uh, back in my country as a principal for 10 years. Well, the rapport sometimes doesn't necessarily translate because I don't know what happened in your country if I've never been there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't know what principals do, you know, if it's the same or not. And so if we could find, you know, ways to support the, the, the applicant to position themselves in a way that... Um, allows for that connection and you know the principal one is a little bit um, uh, unique because it is a regulated profession right um, but you know if you apply that to maybe HR as an example you know HR is a very culturally distinct um, profession you know HR in Canada is different from HR in another country mm-hmm. so if you could articulate your um, your strengths in that interview, you've got administration experience, you've got project management experience, you know, and, and a whole range of, of, um, of skills and experiences that could benefit the employer, they're more likely to see that connection. Um, and so there's this work that we undertaking to try and help, uh, I use the term repackaging, to help individuals repackage the experience for the Canadian context. And then on the flip side, we also want to work with hiring managers as well, right? And, you know, uh, the, the, the challenge that a lot of immigrants have, and I know we've gone through challenges, and as I said, there's many of them, but one of them is that if you come in into Canada as an, as an international experienced professional, you're fluent in one of the two official languages, you've, got, you've had a previous career, you've got you know, formal education, there's a good chance you're not going to struggle to f- find a job. But 
in most cases, and we've seen this with international students after graduation, we've seen this with international experienced professionals coming into economic class, usually that first job ends up being, for lack of a better term, a survival job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not to imply that they're not happy, it's not to imply that they're doing well at their job, but, but it may not be where they want it to be. And, you know, even if a, a better job came up six months later, because this uncertainty of going into probation, you may stay in that survival job a lot longer than you anticipated, especially if you've got kids to feed and rent to pay. Two years goes by and you suddenly, you know, maybe you've done some studies, maybe you've, maybe you've got that international uh, credentials um, recognized in Canada, and now you apply to schools or you apply to, you know, the education sector. Um, and you're thinking, okay, I'd like to now get into the education sector. Hiring managers don't know why you've worked in those survival jobs for two years. And so mm -hmm. what ends up happening is they discount all previous experience thinking, well, maybe they just wasn't good at the job. And so there's things that we want to do to support hiring managers mm -hmm. in navigating international experience and maybe even articulating those questions differently. And that's where I think, you know, and, and again, these are, uh, I will say these are opinions at this stage substantiated opinions but still opinions <laughs> nonetheless uh, but i think that's where the work that ideji is going to be doing is going to help support this because i mean like, this is not unique to any particular sector or industry um you know i, I was speaking to someone who um, went through the the expense of getting their engineering um, uh, credentials recognized in canada i even spoke to somebody who was a lawyer i even you know and and i spoke to someone who even went back who had incredible HR experience, who went back to school to get an HR um, Canadian uh, education. And the challenges all three of them facing is the same, mm -hmm. uh, is that in many cases, the experience has been discounted. And then there's the networking side, right? How do we build networks? And I think for us as, as, as being sort of the boots on the ground, developing the programs, developing the services, we can support, we can be the bridge to allow them uh, to, to build those valuable networks, you know, at, at every stage of their journey so that it's we're not just waiting for them to get to employment and then suddenly like, okay, how do we, how do we create a job fair and bring you together? Well, if you haven't built your uh, ability to, you know, talk about the weather in Canada, which is a, a very topical small talk <laughs> <laughs> conversation, especially now that we're in winter, you, if you haven't built that kind of, confidence you know then we also not setting you up for success so there's a lot that we we can do on both sides and and i think that's kind of where we need to really position ourselves um because there's some commonality in a lot of the challenges but again we're really excited to see what the research brings about because um i'm sure there's some things that we maybe haven't even thought of that we should be mm -hmm. So we've talked about how Brandon isn't unique in terms of like labor shortages and in terms of some of the challenges being faced, but are there unique things that Brandon has maybe because of context, maybe because of size? I don't know. Are there areas where Brandon has unique opportunities for settlement? Maybe I'll direct that to you, Andrew. Yeah, you know, I'm extremely optimistic uh, about Brandon's ability to navigate uh, things. And it's not just because I live here, <laughs> but, you know, I've lived in four province lived and worked in four provinces three countries four countries and three continents and and i and i think what makes brandon unique you know if if you if you've been in manitoba or you've, you've lived in winnipeg but you maybe come from a, another province like maybe ontario you know the when you move to winnipeg everybody says winnipeg is one degree of separation right like it's very easy to get connected 
I'd say Brandon is like half a degree of separation. <laughs> and, you know, and so it's through that uh, half a degree of separation that if we, if we are looking to get more coordinated, if we're looking to go from idea to execution, if we're looking to ensure that we can bring a voice to those that don't have a voice, I think it's a lot easier in this environment um, because there are lots of well-intentioned uh, you know, organizations uh, and, and leaders and, and, you know, and individuals at that grassroots level that's all looking and playing a role in this type of dialogue. But I, I think what we don't currently have is coordination. And, and I think given Brandon's um, that half a degree of separation, I think, you know, whether it's coordination through a, a project like, like what IDEG is doing and, and, and WIS and BU Cares in partnership, coordinating the, the conversation and then seeing how we can move that work forward in the community, um, or even, you know, institutional coordination, you know, where we, we no longer saying uh, it's not my role, but it's, but more saying, it is our role. Maybe we don't honestly all have to play the same part right now, but it's our role. Um, and then I, I think the last part is that, you know, we need leadership uh, to, to step forward and leadership at all levels. And it doesn't mean everybody necessarily has to hold the baton all the time. They can pass the baton along the way. And I think that in Brandon right now, there's the right climate for all of that to exist. And then obviously, yes, a little shout out to your podcast. We need more of these conversations to happen. And I, I think that, you know, given Brandon's size, um, but also access, right? Uh, 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 so, you know, a lot of what's happening here isn't happening in isolation. I think there's, you know, we have academics, we have three academic uh, centers here doing amazing work, well-connected with researchers, you know, across the, the country. So I think we're also able to bring in some of the best practices and and uh, and, and research from other um, uh, communities to try and help inform what's happening here. So we don't necessarily have to reinvent the wheel as well. So I'm really optimistic. I think that, um, you know, given Brandon's um, uh, local context, I think there's a lot that can be done. Thanks. That's the third time in a row on this podcast that we've heard something similar. Hey, like, I know we had Huddle and we had BNRC and now WIS all saying, we need that kind of collaborative model with interagency collaboration and Brandon is uniquely positioned to do that. Those mm -hmm. pretty powerful statements, one right after the other like mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. you're, you're not the only one arguing for that or putting that forward. Yeah, yeah I was thinking exactly the same yeah, thing. I was thinking about, so how does that happen? Yeah. Because we also talked to three groups that I don't think are necessarily collaborating yeah. and, but they're open to collaboration, which is the first step. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. And I, you know, I think with reference to, to the groups, I mean, there is mm -hmm. collaboration. I think there's also mandates as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, and this comes back to that institutional challenges that we have, because even if you know, we have two post-secondary institutions in the community, both bringing in international students now, is there, can you collaborate or is just the very nature of the way the, the funding is set up and, and the, the organizational um, independence is set up, is there an opportunity to collaborate? And so mm -hmm. part of this, this uh, curiosity is, is are the systems set up to support collaboration? 
Because even if you look at within the nonprofit sector, you know, funding is competitive, just the very mm -hmm. nature of it, right? Mm -hmm. And so are the systems set up to support collaboration or are the systems set up to, and, and but it doesn't mean collaboration isn't happening, but at mm -hmm. what level, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, so it's an interesting question and I don't, I don't have the answer, but but <laughs> what I can say confidently is that they are, there is collaboration, mm -hmm. but we need more of it. Mm -hmm. That's sort of the answer that we heard mm -hmm. before as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Was that there was a lot of sort of on the ground collaboration. Mm -hmm. Like someone walking a client over next door to the next door office because they needed the services over there, right? Yeah. Which is, I think, the strengths of Brandon that you're describing. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you to all of you. Are there any other final things that anyone wants to add? No. I'm yeah. I might, you know, I, I might talk a little bit about just. Um, hopefully, this is the beginning of more beginnings, you know, <laughs> because uh, you know, from a research perspective, obviously, you know, research is published, and then we kind of like we all celebrate, and it goes on a website somewhere, and the report <laughs> goes in the drawer, and good work, you know. But I think you know this kind of uh, academic practitioner relationships is really important, and whether it be with WIS and, you know, in BUKs or whether it be with other um, yeah, organizations out there, I think more of this is needed. And if there's an opportunity for more, you know, even if, because maybe, maybe that's what the model looks like from this, from, in terms of what the new system should be, right, is more of this kind of relationships, because um, it, it does provide that community engagement, um, but it also ensures that the trust that's built in that community engagement <laughs> Uh, is followed through by by those on the ground you know so we're not just bringing individuals together and saying mm -hmm. okay tell us what you think let's do a you know a survey or let's you know a focus group and then the work goes nowhere right and mm -hmm. and i think that more of this excites me um and and hopefully you know wherever wherever buk has kind of but uh, focus on more of this continues you know with support from funders out there and and you know, whether whether there's other institutions that need to come to play because um, from an from an immigration perspective we know and I think you know thanks for that statistics uh, of 1.5 million by 2025 um, this has been the most uh, the largest undertaking of, of population growth through immigration ever um, and if you know from a, a community economic development perspective you know which we all touched on we need population growth to support the, the the infrastructure that we all greatly depend on right. so so the timing is really key and and we you know shifting from immigrants and newcomers we really need everyone to be successful because again immigrants and newcomers don't live in a vacuum so we can't just be looking at this through the lens of immigrants and newcomers exclusively because some of the wicked problems that exist in our community impacts everyone right and when we speak true. about welcoming communities mm -hmm. what happens if you move here and you have kids are they now Canadian and you the immigrant and the problem is that, you know, so, so we really need to think about this more um, broadly and holistically and, and maybe bring others to the table. Another research project for you, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> we will talk. Okay. <laughs> well, well, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much to both of you. And um, yeah, we appreciate your time and your expertise. You've been listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, a Research Connection podcast from Brandon University. 
For more episodes or to learn more about the BU Cares Research Centre, please visit our website at bucares.ca or you can come find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts.